welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name's Matt Southcombe. First of all, let me thank you for however you are listening to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe on any various platforms. And if you do already subscribe, we really appreciate it if you leave us some comments and a few reviews. Let's get on with the show then. I'm joined today by Simon Thomas, our rugby writer. Simon, news from the Wales camp ahead of the Ireland game today that Liam Williams has suffered a little bit of a setback in his injury. Um, He's hoping that he would be fit for this game against Ireland, it's not going to transpire. And to make matters worse, uh, it's looking like he's not going to be fit for the France game either, with Byron Haywood saying he's looking at game four or five of the championship. It's got progressively worse, hasn't it? When he first had the ankle um, surgery after the injury he picked up in training in the World Cup in Japan, you know, we were told that oh, you know, he should be okay for the start of the Six Nations. Then it was going to be week two. Well, now it's going to be week four at best. Uh, it's obviously had a bit of um, a problematic journey on the road to recovery a little bit of setback along the way by the sound of it and now it's going to be the England game in week four as the earliest we'll see him and you know given that it's been poked back a couple of times you you couldn't absolutely be be certain now that he's going to be involved at all so it's a shame for Liam and fingers crossed that obviously he, he can recover in time and play some part in the championship. I suppose the way, what you would say is, is the blow is softened somewhat by Wales, by the fantastic form that Lee Halfpenny has been in, you know, not just last weekend, but through the season since the World Cup for, for the Scarlets. He's been excellent. Um, another very fine performance against Italy in the Six Nations opener. So Wales are lucky on that front. Uh, but it will be interesting to see what happens with Liam now. Um, <laughs> the question is, who will be he be playing rugby for next? You know, this is this is the other thing because it may well be the case that where Wales look at his situation, given he's you know it'll be six months out really by the time he comes back. You'd imagine they would perhaps want him to get a game of um, club stroke regional rugby. In. Well, yeah, this is it. Like, obviously Nobody we, knows. It, it was put to the Byron Hayward, you know, is, it, is there a chance that, that Liam might get a game for Saracens just to get that game time you referred to? You know, Byron Hayward said, you know, yes, that's certainly an option. But, you know, obviously there are rumours now that, that Liam Williams could be arriving at the Scarlet sooner rather than later. So what do we make of that well, situation? Well, I mean, it's interesting. Then? A lot of Scarlet's fans were pencilling in the game against Edinburgh in a week or so's time as, as the game he might return. We know he's obviously signed for Scarlets for next season. Given everything that's going on at Saracens, there's been a lot of speculation about the possibility of him returning sooner than that before the end of this season, whether they'd be willing to have that happen. Um, Obviously, while he's injured, it's all in abeyance and nothing's happening. But, you know, when he does return... Will it be with a team starting with S? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but will it be the Scarlets or the Saracens? We don't just know. Obviously, a lot of all Scarlets fans would love to have him back as soon as possible. And, you know, if Saracens are amenable, like, given that he's going, given that if you, if you look at their season, I mean, the only thing you would say is um, they are still in Europe. They've still got um, a massive game against Leinster to come. And when they have everybody available, Liam Williams would be in that first choice team. So if they've got their eyes very much still on Europe, might they want to keep him there? Or might they decide that it's an opportune moment for him to go earlier? It's, I guess it's very much up to Saracens. But yes, the Gallets fans would love to have him on board. And I was looking at the diary. If he was to play against England, well, the week before that is Munster against Scarlets out in, in, in Ireland. So um, maybe he'll be, that'll be his next game of rugby. We, we have to wait and see, don't we, really? 
Okay, so, so that's the uh, the Liam Williams issue. Then moving further in field, there are there are more decisions to be made um, by Wayne Pivak. Obviously, you know Nick Tompkins has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works unexpectedly by by many people's standards. You know, playing so well against Italy. What does he do in the midfield? Obviously, Owen Watkin coming back in as well. I guess he needs to be considered too. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, prior to the 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 championship coming on the back of um, the World Cup. With Jonathan Davis out, you would have thought that Owen Watkin was very much the favourite to partner Hadley Parks come the Six Nations. Um, now, Owen has picked up an injury, um, which has kept him out for the last couple of months. Um, but he's now back available again. Now, if he'd been available for the first match, he might well have started there. So that given that he's um, now fit, given what Byron Hayward has said about, you know, they know what he can bring, um, the class that he offers... Does he now come into the equation as a starter even potentially? So having had the situation going into the championship, we had a bit of a crisis in the centre. And all of a sudden, there's a bit of a headache from the other point of view because you've got four players really pushing for the two spots. Hadley Parks, Nick Tompkins, George North as an option and Owen Watkin as well. So uh, it, it's an interesting conundrum. And who do they go for? I mean, I think... The public out there have voted, you know, with their social media messages, and they all think Nick Tompkins needs to start. And I certainly have I've said the same. I think he, he just looks the real deal, and I, I just feel you need him in that centre for everything he brings, which, of course, raises the issue of, uh, you know, who goes alongside him. And you, as I say, you've got Hadley Parks, you've got Owen Watkin, you've got George North. If they go Parks, Tompkins, which a lot of people are calling for, you then have the issue about what happens in the wing. And I know that you just discussed this at length, and um, you you have a differing view to our colleague, our bearded colleague, Mr. James. I sit in the middle as the old sage, just sort of taking everything on board and come to the conclusion that they're both fine players, George North and Johnny McNichol. And they both have varying pluses and minuses to their game. And I'm glad that it's not my decision. All right, so you touched on, you touched on it quite, quite well there. We, we obviously had a, a fairly lively debate on today's game line, our live rugby Facebook show here at Wales Online. Let's have a listen to that clip now as me and Simon talked about the various uh, selection headaches when considering George North or Johnny McNichol. Matt, you weren't with us yesterday. We, we talked about the Wales team selection, which is coming up on Thursday quite a bit. There was a, a lot of love for Johnny McNichol yesterday, not so much for George North, and that's that's annoyed you, I understand. I hear he's got some nigger off his chest. <laughs> I, I saw well, it. Well, first of all, I'm very surprised at you, John, as the mediator of this show, um, the lack of balance that has been... Yeah, no, I've kept my counsel the last few days, but I've seen a lot of things uh, said and written, and, you know, I just feel like we've been a little bit unfair here. So if we're talking about um, Nick Tonkin starting in the centre, then we'll start looking at Johnny McNichol or George North on the wing. Yeah. Um, Simon, I know you said it was a, a difficult decision based on w- what you'd seen on Twitter and things like that, but for me, it's really not. Um, you know, you look at the stats, George North, eight, eight carries, 115 metres, uh, one missed tackle in the outside centre channel, which we all agree is the most difficult channel to defend on a rugby field. One try as well, one disallowed. Uh, Johnny McNichol, I think, was seven carries for about 65, 70 metres. Um, six missed tackles, three of them in the second half, one-on-ones, that if George North had missed we'd have all been here with the pitchforks out. They were bad, bad missed tackles. You know, I thought he faded. I thought he struggled with the pace. He was blowing in between phases in the second half. You know, I know what we're saying about the second distributor. 
I don't like doing this to Johnny McNichol, by the way, but you boys have made me do this. But I don't see what he actually did tangibly to impact the game. Yes, he came in at that second receiver, but you know, I didn't see him making searing breaks. You know, he went across the field a little bit, but perhaps he found out that the gaps at regional level are not there at international level. Um, so, you know, I, I just think in terms of impact on the game, you know, we all eulogise at the way that uh, Nick Tonkin straightened up and put North away for his disallowed try that was brought back. North did exactly the same thing in the first half to put Halfpenny and then Adams away the only reason Wales didn't score on that occasion is because Halfpenny dropped the kick that went through so you know we've got to be fair to these people and I just kind of feel like we're not holding McNichol to the same standard that we hold George North and I think that's that's across the board as well I think North is a lot expected of him because of the success he had when he was younger but he, I thought he played very well on the weekend in a difficult role and I think if it comes down to McNichol or North on the wing on Saturday it has to be North I think in fairness the only thing I'd say to that is when we were talking yesterday we did talk quite a bit about McNichol being a high risk high reward player mm. in that if you look at what he's done for the Scarlets over the last three years everyone has seen the try scoring and what he can offer him creatively but the one thing that have been said about him is that he can be he can be found out sometimes defensively in the high ball and we did say that yesterday you know he missed five or six tackles he was bumped off a couple of them quite easy so we, we have looked at that and I think I said myself yesterday it's a really hard call I think because McNichol does offer something different in terms of the number of involvements you get from in the wing. We've talked a lot about that with George in the past, yeah. where the, 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 the need to try and ideally get him more into the game. The way McNichol plays, he does rove a bit more and he does pop up in different positions. So if they're looking for someone to do that in the wing role, you could see why they might go for him. To be honest with you, I'd be quite happy with either of them playing that. Mm. I think George North, you know, he's still such a strong carrier. 40 test tries, did nothing particularly wrong at all in two different positions of the weekend. But it's not our call, really. And I think that McNichol is somebody that Pivak knows well, Stephen Jones knows Mm. well. They know what he brings. And it's a balancing act, isn't it? If they feel that perhaps he offers more all-round involvement because of the way he plays, his ability to pop up and straighten it in unusual places, a little lark in runs, chip over the top, or do they want someone who's a really experienced test winger, really solid, going forward with the ball in hand and makes strong carries, does a lot of good things in terms of his predatory nature in North? That's the decision they've got to make, yeah. isn't it? Indeed. Do, do you, what do you think they will do then? Do you think they'll be of your school of thought? Or, well, it's like Simon said, you know, they obviously like McNichol. Um, you know, you hear Pivak referring to him as J Mac in press conferences, so they obviously know each other well, yeah. know each other inside out. You know, but I just think if McNichol got exposed three times in the second half against Italy, what are Ireland going to do to him? Hmm. You know, we don't, we don't praise North for his passing when he need, deserves it because it's not fashionable. We like to criticise his defence because everybody does. But in fact, you look back to World Cup as well, he kept Rodrada quiet on that wing, the guy who was causing chaos everywhere. Rodrada went in field to cause his chaos, he didn't get around North. North defending the 13 channel against Italy, again one missed tackle. You know, I just think that what do you think the niggle with North is then with some uh, a proportion of supporters, pundits maybe? Is it because he was such box office back yeah, in 2013? That, that, that's exactly right. You know, if he didn't, if he gains 10 metres, why didn't he gain 20? You know, mm. if he scores one try, why didn't he score two? It's always been the way with North and it's because of the success he had when he was younger. But let's not forget, 92 caps, 40 tries for his country. You know, you don't get that many caps and score that many tries without having something special. So mm. I think it is very much the success he's had in his career means that he is held to a different standard to some players let's be honest now for the Welsh public the rugby mad Welsh public every year or so they need someone don't they 
You've had Cuthbert in the past. <laughs> You've had Priestland in the past. You've had Bigger in the past. Neil Jenkins 20 years ago. It happens. There'll be a momentum thing, won't they, which gathers and says, oh, North is the one who's getting it now. And over the last 18 months, he's the one who's had it. He's the one who's had criticism. Um, obviously, he had those that time out with the concussion problems. He was out of the game for a while. And it was a big, big thing for him coming back, especially taking the, the contact and whether he was really so back to the, what he was. And people have seen maybe a couple of performances which are maybe a level below what you've been used to him in the past and all of a sudden he becomes the broker who gets the kick in mm. it happens in Welsh rugby there'll be somebody else next year George North has been has contributed a huge amount to Welsh rugby now that doesn't matter when it comes to the selection this weekend does it you know Nick Nichols will have been there two minutes but if Pivak thinks McNichol is the man for the job then that's his call and Yes, there's the the, the, the defensive issues, but Pivak more than anyone would know there's been a few lapses like that during his career and has picked him. Now, will he pick him this weekend? At the end of the day, it depends what they want, doesn't it? Mm. Is there more positives than negatives by picking Nickel compared to North? Over to Mr Pivak. So there we go then. Obviously, you can listen and watch even the Game Line live every lunchtime throughout the Six Nations over on our Facebook page. So take a look at it. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Wales had a press conference today and defence coach Byron Hayward was up. Si, obviously, Wales didn't concede a point against Italy. Um, not not, not bad. Not a bad start for Byron Hayward. What did you make of the impact that he brought? Well, as much as everyone had talked about the uh, difficulty of stepping into Warren Gatlin's shoes, there was also a realisation that it was a difficult stepping into Sean Edwards's. But Byron Hayward, in day one, has achieved something that, that Sean never achieved in the Six Nations, which is nilling the opposition. Now, it was a poor Italian side, uh, but you know you can't do much better on the scoreboard than, than keep the opposition to nil. Um, still things to work on, but what was good was that the scramble defence when the line was breached was was excellent um, they'll want to sort of reduce the number of one-on-one misses they were were a few of those but generally the system looked good um, I think you know if you look back to what Wayne Pivak had said before the championship if it ain't broke don't fix it and the defence has been pretty good and they've built on that Byron Hayward has tweaked things here and there um, in particular with the assistance of Sam Warburton in terms of the defensive uh, work at the breakdown. But it was good for a first start. It was very impressive. And I'm pleased for Byron because he's a real honest guy, works hard, has done good work at the Scarlet, was a fine player in his day, boxer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't be arguing with him. Um, and I think he can be pleased with his day's work. And now, but obviously, I think he will know more than anyone it steps up a gear now in Ireland. You've got some big, big ball carriers coming. Yeah, well, it seems like a nice way to move into the Irish side then. What are we expecting? They've named their team today. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of big players in that pack. We, we've we talked about Wales being bullied there in recent years out in Dublin. What sort of threats do those guys pose uh, to Wales? Well, it's two enforced changes, both injury-related. Um, Gary Ringrose, Gary Ringrose, the centre, has had thumb surgery, so he's going to be out for a little while. But again, a very quality player, you know, top-quality player, British Lion coming in in Robbie Henshaw, probably a little bit more direct, you know, more, more powerful. Ringrose has got good feet, good pace. But, you know, Henshaw brings real strengths as well. 
Um, I also remember when they beat uh, New Zealand out in America in Chicago. I think it was. He was tremendous that day and on his on his best. Didn't really happen for him in the Lions tour, but at his best, he's a, he's a top quality centre. So he's going in there and it's, it's a partner Bundyaki. So there's a lot of strength coming down, which goes back to this equation of who should mm. go in the centre for Wales. And then the other changes in the back row, we've had a bit of a reshuffle. Re- the huge amount of talk about Caelan Doris coming into the championship person that a lot of people were saying to watch out for as a breakthrough player well his uh, test debut six nations debut only lasted four or five minutes unfortunately he had a bang ahead accidentally clash of heads i believe with adam hastings and he's now been ruled out and so the switch that happened during the game against scotland has now become a permanent one for the start against wales i.e um Peter Omani comes in at six and CJ Standard moves across to number eight. So you've really gone back to the kind of the, the established back row very much of Omani, um, Standard, and then Josh the Flyer, well named, he is a flyer, um, on the seven on the open side. Um, and Standard, a very big game against Scotland. Um, not just in the carrying, which we know all about, but also his defensive work, something like 18 tackles. So there's a lot of power and a lot of physicality in that back row. Peter Romani has caused us problems over the years out in Dublin with his work over the ball. I'm sure that Sam Warburton, who has uh, gone head-to-head to him in those kind of uh, jackling collisions over the years, will have some special plans on how to deal with him because he can be a menace. Uh, if you look at the Irish pack, there's a lot of ball-carrying potential there. The likes of James Ryan, James Ryan, he carries all day long. Uh, Ian Henderson, a big carrier. Furlong, virtually the entire pack. It's a pack full of carriers. And you know from past experiences against them that if they get into the opposition 22, we struggled with this in the past, they just keep the ball, keep the ball. It com- keeps coming. It was the Joe Schmidt way, wasn't it? Carry after carry after carry. Remorseless ball-carrying from their forwards or from Bundyaki as well and um, Wales know that that's going to come they've a different coach now in Andy Farrell but I'm sure a lot of those Schmidt template forward carries will still be there and it's going to be as coming back to what I said this will be another level of, uh, of testing for the new defensive structure under Byron Hayward Okay, we dealt with Ireland quite quite well there. So looking back at this Wales side, then it's difficult to make a, a lot of changes. Um, having just won forty two nil in the first hit out in the Six Nations is not too bad, is it? Do you envisage any changes from Wayne Pivak this weekend, and and if so, what what can we look at? I think you might well have the same pack. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the scrimmage. Uh, three penalties given away there and have been issues before. And obviously before the World Cup, Wales were of a view that there was the, the new sort of um, implementation of guidelines and laws at the scrum. They were trying to abide by them. Perhaps other teams weren't. Then Wales had to go back to the original ways. And that took some time to find their feet, got through it at the World Cup. But now the scrum has become an issue again because they were stressed at times against Italy so there are quite a few people who are questioning whether there should be changes of props when there are other options because obviously Reese Carey is back now so you've got Reese Carey and Rob Evans as options to win Jones and on the tight head you've got Leon Brown amid an impact off the bench um, against against uh, Italy and Will Griff John as options you know challenging Dylan Lewis so there's six guys there two starters what will he do I I tend to think 
they will stay the same. Mm. Um, when when Jones earned a lot of kudos and a lot of credit for what he did at the World Cup, and um, on the other side of the scrum, people have said Will Griff John, but Will's only just come in. Will he's, he's Will Griff has only just come into the Wales camp, and we all know that you know they place a huge store on conditioning and fitness levels. So they will be looking at that and making a judgment on that. Is he yet ready for international rugby? It's a big learning process, especially for tight forwards when they come in. Um, so. My expectation is they'll probably go the same pack. I think they will. You know, we don't know, but, but you know, I can see that happening. So I could well see the one change maybe being in the centre. You know, with Nick Tompkins coming in there, I'd be disappointed if he doesn't because I think he just offers so much. You know, in terms of his defensive work and also his creative work with his passing, just makes great decisions from what we've seen. He was only 40 minutes, but I saw enough. And then he comes back then again, tries to say the decision on the wing. So I I think it'll be minimal changes. I guess on on the front row, is is the scrum Wales' biggest issue at the moment? Um, It is because you're going into a match now where you're up against arguably the best tight end in the world in Tyke Furlong. Hugely experienced, uh, lucid in Kean Healy, and then Dave Kilcoyne off the bench, who's a big impact. Andrew Porter off the bench. So you've got four props there who will all challenge and ask questions. A lot of poundage coming through from the Irish second row. So even if Wales's scrum hadn't had a few creaks and groans against Ireland, this would still be a massive test. On the back of what happened against a couple of young Italian props, let's not remember, then it is legitimate for us to be saying that there is a concern. Now, I read what you were, what you wrote in the, the, the kind of our coverage in the press conference in Byron Haywood. And it did. It was, it was the classic one, wasn't it? Well, you left. You know, I'm no expert speak on that. To the forwards, <laughs> coach. Speak to the forwards, <laughs> but he did say, you know, that. Uh, and it was interesting. The phraseology he was said like different referees interpret the scrum in different ways, yeah. which is certainly the case. And you have to sort of work out how they're going. Last week it was um, Luke Pierce. Now this week it's uh, a gentleman, Monsieur Roman Poit. Now the one thing we know about Roman is that. Um, he will generally reward a dominant scrum. If you can get an edge on there early on, you can see some quite a few penalties coming. Wales have run into a few issues with him in the past on that front. You know, in terms of his judgment about who's on top. And I remember back in the day that he had a, he had a bit of a sequence of of you know set twos with um, with Gethin Jenkins with Gethin getting penalised, and I think Gethin found it frustrating at the time. <laughs> so you you know you need to, to, to convince Roman Poit that you're holding your own in the scrum. Otherwise, it can be a long day. So this. This is going to be a massive task, test for the Welsh scrum. All right, just moving away briefly from Wales against Ireland. Obviously, you saw England losing in Paris on the opening weekend, 24-17, but it looked a lot bleaker than that for a lot of the game. Um, it's been quite a reaction to this game. So what have you made of it all? Obviously, we've seen today World Cup winner from 2003, Kieran Bracken, calling Freddie Jones to be sacked. Um you know, it, it's not. We we all know what it's like when a when a team loses in convincing fashion. You know, it, things do get a little bit hysterical. But what have you made of of the reaction and the fallout from that, Freddie Jones? Um, it's an interesting one because they were twenty four nil down on about fifty fifty five minutes, something like that. They should have won. Yeah, <laughs> they should have won that game. I think it was something like seven or eight entries into the French twenty two without a, a score. If you think both tries that Johnny May scored were both started outside the twenty-two individual strikes, individuals, you know, yeah. they had they had so much ball in that second half. But in a way, you often get the case that teams who are kind of lacking a bit of creative edge, when they get lots of ball, it really exposes the problems. Now, 
the trouble is when you take out the two men who have been your main ball carriers at a very successful, generally very successful World Cup, you're talking um, the, well both the Vunapolas, Billy and Mako, and also Manitoulagi. Those are your th- those are three massive ball carriers, all gone. Mm. You know, Vunapolas not involved in G issues. Tulagi went off injured himself. So all of a sudden, you've got a situation where, yeah, you're pummeling away in the opposition 22, but you've got no one to make the hard yards. Now, there's been questions about the 10-12 situation. Should that change? But every bit of ineffectiveness of the English attack, to me, stems back to the fact that we all know that if you're not going forward, not crossing the gain line, it's a lot harder to make inroads as an attacking unit out wide or in wider channels and they just weren't getting anywhere great defense led by Bernard Roux the French second row 22 tackles incredible but uh, they were running into a blue brick wall into a, a Sean Edwards designed brick wall so there will be a lot of questions now about the the, um, the way that England needs to change both in terms of personnel and in terms of style now Eddie Jones has been quite stubborn because he's basically gone, he's already gone with the same group of players. There's been these calls for Alex Dombrandt, ex-Cardiff Met, to come in, um, and also for Sam Simmons of Exeter, but he's sticking to his guns. And, you know, you've got a situation there where you've got arguably one of the, the best flanker, one of the best flankers in the world in uh, in Tom Curry, where he's a great player. We talked last week about, you know, how he would fare at eight. You know, to make that transition at international level is very difficult. And they, it felt you felt like they, it wasn't utilising their talent to the best of their ability. I, I read one stat. England's top carrier was Sam Underhill, with something like 21 metres. You ain't going to win in Paris if your top ball carrier is making 21 metres. So, But he does seem as though he's going to stick to that those guns, and he's going up to Scotland now to face a Scottish team who played pretty well against Ireland. Could have They could have won as well. And their scrum went well, their forwards went well, Haining in the back row. Uh, you know, it was an excellent debut, and I think that... Uh, if England, you know, make the kind of unforced, forget the lack of a creativity, you know, creativity and attack for a second. They were basic errors they were making, you know, uncharacteristic errors. And if they make those against Scotland, then you know they they could be facing another long day. And and the, if they lose in Scotland, then they won't just be Kieran Bracken calling Freddie Jones's head. They've got a lot more people. <laughs> they will indeed. All right, then. Just finally, before we finish, just bring it back to Wales for now. Um, so going into the fallow week after this island game what what does a win do for Wales out in Dublin and what does a defeat do for them well it uh, sells a lot more copies of the Western Mail on Wales on Sunday so that would be lovely <laughs> the it important gets, stuff it gets us lots more traffic online and it puts a smile on everyone's faces here and out in the street and it means that Wales would have to be considered very, very serious championship and Grand Slam contenders if you look at the betting we're still a little way down you know because and you can understand why the bookies wouldn't have changed their odds because it is hard to make you know any great judgments based on beating a pretty poor Italian team. If they go to Dublin and win, then they have to be taken very, very seriously. Everyone's accepted this is going to be a transitional uh, campaign for Wayne Pivak. He still wants to win it, though. Mm. He really wants to win it. And I think uh, Wills, probably, if you look at the, the championship so far, the six teams have played, look the team who are going to ask the most questions with, with ball in hand. You know, France were good. They didn't They didn't have a lot of ball. They didn't strike a lot. You know, they, they were quite 
you know, with, with Dupont, they're running the show. They they struck well, but Wales looked a team that w- probably wants to play the most rugby of the championship so far. Uh, so I think it'll give it a real crack in Dublin. Yeah. I just hope it doesn't rain as much as people. We've got a few people with Irish connections in our office. It was always going to be wet out there. <laughs> Doing a few rain dances. Yeah, they are. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Heading out there, Matthew. You are. With Mr. Ben James. I'll try and look after him and try and stop. Um, Keep him on the straight and narrow. So stop the, the McNichol love affair a bit. <laughs> All right. We'll call it a day there then. Obviously, there's plenty more to come before Simon and Ben get off to Dublin. Wales name their team to face Ireland on Thursday. We'll be up at the Vale Resort bringing you all the latest from the press conference. And we'll be back with the Welsh Rugby Podcast on Thursday. Until then, take care.